This episode of Attention Talk Radio is brought to you by children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Welcome to Attention Talk Radio, your ADHD information station where we help those with ADHD pay attention to attention. With your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Copper. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Copper. Our topic tonight, ADHD, dealing with uncertainty. And with us in our virtual studio is Greg Creech of the To Do Institute. Um, very excited about our program tonight. Uh, before we get into the show, a few announcements. Our program is being brought to you by children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. In celebration of that event, we're giving away um, a couple copies of Attention Magazine. We'd like to give them to you. <clears throat> All you need to do is listen to our show. Uh, we're going to share a secret word a couple times. Write that secret word down. Listen to another show. Hear the secret word, write that down. Then send me an email with both secret words. The email address is attention at attentiontalkradio.com. When we get your email, I will uh, have Chad send you a current PDF copy of Attention Magazine, and they will forward you the next copy when it is printed. Again, two secret words. Just send it to me, attention at attentiontalkradio.com. Also, some uh, big news, the 2020 Annual International Conference on ADHD uh, that was originally going to be in Texas, November the 5th through the 7th, is going virtual uh, because of the COVID-19 virus and the timing of it. Um, they needed to make some decisions, and now it's going to be virtual, so everybody has a reason um, to go. Um, no financial reason not to, so I really encourage you to do this. Uh, we have a lot of great content on here, but uh, the conference is a really great thing, um, and I encourage everybody to uh, to sign up for the conference and learn more. Go to chadd.org. Um, again, Chad is bringing our show to you. Uh, we have a little tip that we're going to share, and then we'll get into the meat of the show. Having ADHD and anxiety can interfere with daily living. By adjusting your thoughts from negative to positive thinking, you can successfully manage your stress. Here are some tips that may help. Practice mindfulness and deep breathing. Create and maintain routines. And incorporate more exercise like weight training, yoga, or an energetic walk. To learn more about ADHD and anxiety, visit chad.org. Thanks again, Chad, for your continued support. For those that are not familiar, Chad is the largest not-for-profit organization that advocates on behalf of those with ADHD. They're the ones that are uh, on Capitol Hill talking to different regulatory agencies uh, so we get our fair shake and get uh, the accommodations that we need to thrive. Um, we encourage you to become members of Chad or to donate. Uh, just go to chadd.org to learn more about donating and or member, member benefits, which are uh, – Really, uh, really helpful for uh, for all out there. Okay, let's get into our show. Greg Keach is the author of award-winning books, um, uh, "A Natural uh, Approach to Mental Wellness," "A uh, Finger Pointing to the Moon," and "The Art of Taking Actions: a Lesson Learned from Japanese Psychology," uh, which was released to rave reviews and is an Amazon bestseller. Greg and his wife uh, Linda are founders of the Tudu Institute, a nonprofit center in Vermont that uses Japanese psychology as an alternative to traditional Western approaches to psychology. Over 32 years, Greg has been featured as a speaker at international venues ranging from Zen centers to mental health conferences. Um, he's the editor of a quarterly journal 
30,000 Days, a Journal of Purposeful Living, uh, published by the To-Do Institute. Um, their website is 30,000days.org. Craig, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Jeff. It's nice to be here. It's been way too long. Um, every time I hear you speak or, 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 or I interview, I always learn something. So I, I can tell you, I'm very excited about today. Um, and really grateful. Our topic tonight is dealing with uncertainty. And uh, you study a lot of uh, Japanese psychology and self-reflection. So I guess, I guess in this space, can you talk to us about just generally dealing with uncertainty, how you look at it? And let's go, kind of go from there. Well, I think that you know, we're living in a situation right now um, with this global health crisis where uh, we have really no idea how things are going to unfold down the road, right? Um, yep. One minute there, uh, <clears throat> you're seeing the statistics kind of dramatically go up in terms of um, confirmed infections and the death rates in different countries. The next minute, the president is talking about opening up the economy. The next minute, they're talking about we need more testing before we can do that. And so, um, so nobody really knows how this is going to play out. Um, or if we'll ever actually be back to quote-unquote normal, whatever that means. And for many of us, uh, that, that creates a lot of anxiety, right, because uh, we've, we've gone through large parts of our life kind of with the idea that we know how things are going to happen. When we get up in the morning, um, mostly we think how, we know how our day is going to go. Um, you know, I've... Uh, talk about the idea that, that many of us live in our, our own little bubble. And I don't mean that in a negative kind of way. It's just, I think, a, a realistic way of looking at our life. We have our routine. We get up in the morning. We have make ourselves fresh coffee or tea. And um, we have often something, the same thing for breakfast. We start our car. We drive to work. We have a couple of meetings. Um, and, and so we have certain things that we just expect are going to work the way we expect they're going to work. So we're under what I consider to be the illusion that, that we have certainty in our lives, right? But really, yes. there's, no, there's no more or less certainty now in our life situation than there, there was six months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like it because suddenly our bubble has disintegrated, right? The, the life we were used to living when we used to go out and, and uh, go out for a beer after work or listen to live music at a concert or watch a sports game on TV, that life is no longer there. So now things feel very uncertain, um, and that makes us often feel anxi- anxious. It stimulates mm-hmm. anxiety. But my view is that there's always been uncertainty in our life, and, um, and that part of the challenge of this situation is to acknowledge that life, by definition, is uncertain, that we really never know what's going to happen uh, next week, the next day, even even the next hour. Um, and so part of our challenge is to learn to coexist with that uncertainty, to be able to relax into it instead of respond to it by resistance and tightening up and uh, um, trying to uh, drive ourselves mentally to see if we can figure out how this is going to all play out. 
I, as you were talking, I was listening. What, what struck my mind is I read something or I listened to something you did called Habit of the Mind. And I think we kind of get into this like a little bit of inertia that's there and the need to, to and to stop and realize that the we don't know what the future. We didn't know what the future was, you know, a year ago. We don't know what it is now, but we get a certain level of comfort with that. Um, and there's just some awareness of that. So anyway, just I wanted to throw those things out there because I really kind of like that habit of the mind, particularly as we begin to, to, to proceed with this conversation. Um, you're talking about really acknowledging and coexisting with, with uncertainty. Tell us about that a little bit more. Well, I think that it means uh, recognizing that, you know, the, the principle of impermanence, that things don't stay the same is in my opinion, one of, if not the, uh, fundamental principle of how the world works, how the universe works. Mm-hmm. Things don't stay the same. And uh, again, we sometimes are under the impression that they're the same. You know, there's a little path. I, I live in the country in Vermont, and there's a, I'm surrounded by woods, which is really uh, very nice because I like nature and I like walking in the woods. And I'll, I'll walk up the same path every single day in the woods. And uh, And it's very easy for me to think like, you know, well, it just looks the same as yesterday. But, of course, we know it's not the same as yesterday. Um, if we were to look at it with any scrutiny um, or, or measure it in some way, particularly in the spring, you know, where things are happening um, on the trees with buds and leaves opening up and, and uh, insects and birds, there's, there's constant change. But it's very easy to think like, oh, you know, I've walked this path a thousand times. It's the same path. But it's never really the same path. And so mm-hmm. I think us to kind of adjust our lives to the idea that, um, that life is impermanent, that what's going to happen uh, in, the, in the next day or even in the next hour is really uncertain, and to be able to relax into that kind of situation. And when I say relax into it, I mean to be able to kind of accept it and um, and go with, to, to use a kind of cliche, go with the flow of how that is instead of grabbing for some kind of uh, certainty. You know, it's interesting because we grab for certainty in uncertain situations uh, in several different ways. One is we grab for certainty with optimism. We think we, we have hope. We think like, oh, this is going to pass. Um, we'll get through this. There'll be a vaccine. We'll be able to go back to normal and live our lives and I'll get my job back and and, and, you know, we start building a vision of how things are going to be based on hope. And mm-hmm. then other, other times or other people will build a vision uh, based on pessimism, right? We think like the world's ending. <laughs> this yep, is it. Yep. You know, we've, we've, you know, look at what's going on in the world with global climate crisis and this. And, and you know, this is really like the, the end of the world or, or this is the end of life as we know it. You know, we're never going to be able to shake hands with people again. Mm-hmm. Um, but of those things, we can see our mind trying to grasp at something that gives us a sense of control, like we know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the third option of just acknowledging, I don't know what's going to happen, feels so unusual and uncomfortable to us. But I honestly believe that we can recognize that and gradually become more and more comfortable with it when, um, when we're willing to just kind of live on a day-to-day basis. And one of the things that I personally have found very refreshing about this period of, of uh, in, 
up here in Vermont, you know, it's about four weeks now that we've been um, in a stay-at-home kind of mode, right, where we're not going out, mm-hmm. we're not uh, – and uh, so I'm here uh, – I, I live at the Toto Institute, our organization's center, with my wife and my college daughter, who's 22 years old, also moved in with us mm-hmm. when school closed down. So the three of us have been here for a month. And one of the things I'm realizing that's so different is I'm not doing any kind of planning. Like I'm not planning for workshops and programs, you know, three months or six months or nine months from now. I'm not planning trips. I'm not planning vacations. Um, I'm not doing any planning. And so when I get up in the morning, my planning is what's going to happen today? What do I need to do today? And uh, I'm finding that incredibly refreshing. You know, it's, it's one of the, um, to me, the nice elements of this process of not of recognizing uncertainty is I don't have to be thinking about the future all the time. I can just be thinking about the present day of my life. And that's actually one of the principles in Japanese psychology that is used to work with people who are cancer patients is this idea of very much living on a day-to-day basis. You know, what do you need to do today? What do you need to accomplish today? What's important for you today? Because... Um, uh, you don't know how much time you have. Now, really, even if you're not a cancer patient, you don't know how much time you have. Um, but when we work with people who have serious illnesses, one of the things we do is just bring it down to what's important for you to do today. And I think it's a great principle for all of us at this point. And so am I hearing it, there's a practice of just bringing your attention to the present? Yeah, I think that that's exactly what the practice is. And it's um, it's something that most of us uh, are not very good at, that, that we, first of all, we spend a lot of time, a lot of our mental time in the future, right, or in mm-hmm. the past. We regret things. We, we play them over in our mind when we messed up or something. We just rehearse it in our mind. I knew I should have said this. Why did I say that? Or, uh, and then the same thing about the future. We're trying to, we're trying to anticipate yep. a future, and then the, the, the anticipatory thoughts stimulate this sense of anxiety. Yep. And part of what we're offered in this kind of situa- situation is to really bring our attention back to the present moment of our life. And that's really a moment. I'm not even talking about the day or an hour. It's really the right now at this moment, you and I are having this conversation, right? At this yep. moment, I'm, I'm in a room where there's a nice little green plant and there's some sunlight coming in from the windows. Um, and I've got a cup of tea next to me, and that's this—that's the only real moment in my life, right? And and so this is a great, um, this, me the situation we're in, and I'm not trying to pretend that this isn't a serious, dangerous information situation, and that there there is tremendous suffering in the world right now, but it's a wonderful opportunity for for an intensive training program in how to work with our attention. I, I love how you're setting this up to work with our attention, practice attention and skill of attention. I want to come back to that because we need to run to a break real quick. Um, everyone, our secret word tonight is dealing. Again, our secret word tonight is dealing. And Greg, you have a wealth of information. What's the best website for them, for our listeners to go to, to learn more about um, some of you and some of your programs? Uh, probably the best website where we have lots of information that's available is uh, the site 30,000days.org. So it's 30,000days, all written out, one word, dot org. Excellent. All right, everybody, we'll be right back after these messages. 
Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Do you worry when your child is left out? Does your child have trouble making and keeping friends? Life skills can be challenging for ADHD kids. Learn how you can be your child's greatest ally by reading the book Ned Hollowell described as a game changer. Michelle Borba referred to as the ultimate guide for parents. And Michael Thompson praised as the groundbreaking book you've been waiting for. Go to playbetterplan.com to buy a copy of Caroline McGuire's book, Why Will No One Play With Me? While you're there, subscribe to download her free mini course on developing social skills for children. That's playbetterplan.com. Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. Learn how you can change lives by going to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. The average annual cost of attending college starts around $25,000. Students who have ADHD are at high risk of dropping out because they haven't learned the critical skills they need to succeed in school. Protect your investment with an EDGE Foundation coach, specifically trained to help students with ADHD and Executive Function Challenge make the transition from high school to college. Visit edgefoundation.org to learn more or call 206-632-9497 and use promo code EDGE to get your free college success guide. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by DigCoaching.com. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Greg Creech of the Toyo Institute, and we're talking about uh, dealing with uncertainty. Uh, before the break, I think Greg did a really good job of kind of you know, talking about the future and teeing some things up. And one of the things that, that I heard was really the pause and the recognizing um, kind of your mental state and what you're doing and the surroundings. And one of the things I, I always like about Greg is he talks about, you know, attention and exercising that attention uh i always look at it he's 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 really got a mindset of kind of developing the skill skill of attention and when we're in these uncertain times greg i kind of hear that the practice of just bringing your attention to the present as a means just to kind of stay focused and bring reduce anxiety and peace is actually really healthy if you can do that online am i am i articulate that correctly or am i a little off no, I think you're you're articulating it very correctly. That that I really do see um, the the use of our attention as a skill, and it's a skill in the same way that I would see. I, I play piano. I would see piano playing as a skill. Uh, I used to play basketball. I would say shooting shooting free throws, for instance, in a basketball game is a skill. And if you look at skills, which could be cooking, for example, it could be sewing. Um, how do you get good at those skills? You practice them, right? You you mm-hmm. don't get good at skills by reading about them, by hearing people talk about them, by even thinking about them. You can you can spend a whole day kind of thinking about uh, um, being able to really concentrate and focus your mind, and at the end of the day, you wouldn't have gotten any better at it um, because you're not practicing it. And so when I work with people in terms of 
helping them uh, develop skillful attention. It's all about practice. And so, mm. uh, for instance, of the, I'm teaching a, I teach an online course every year about this, and you have a daily exercise. And so one of the exercises that we had just, uh, I think this was yesterday's exercise, was to pay attention to shadows, right? So if you think about how we, we normally use our attention uh, without thinking about attention, we go through the day and we look at things, right? That's what, what you do. You walk into a room, you say there's a lamp, you say there's a plant, there's a, um, a painting on the wall, there's a dresser. I'm kind of actually looking around my room right now and, and describing it. Um, but for every one of those things I just mentioned, it actually has a shadow right now. I can see a subtle shadow of the lamp. I can see a very thin but dark shadow of the painting on the wall. I can see, a, a again, a, a, a shadow of the this dresser that's to my left. Um, many things have shadows. And when we start looking for shadows, one of the things we're doing is we're breaking our habit of attention, right? By looking at the shadows of things instead of the things themselves, we're actually starting to use our attention differently. And, and that's one of the key things in terms of being skillful with attention is um, to, be, to be able to go beyond what is now habitual, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have different exercises that help us do that. The light and shadow exercise is, is a wonderful exercise. And if, if you're a photographer or an artist, you already know how important shadows are. Right? You can't really be a good artist or photographer unless you really are tuned into shadows. Um, for people like they, they already have developed that capacity to see not just the things but the shadows of things. But for most of us, we don't do that. And so, so it starts challenging um, our minds to use our attention in a different way, which I think is almost always helpful. Yeah. So what what for for the majority of the people that are listening to our show are are, are either either have or impacted by ADHD and the man the, the notion of regulating attention um, is is really a big challenge and what I like about what you're talking about Greg is we're acknowledging attention is like a skill that needs to be developed and practiced on a regular basis and particularly in these times of uncertainty, the target is, is to bring it into the now, not dwell on the future, which you can control. And that notion of picking something like a shadow, it gives you purpose because you are recognizing your attention and you're breaking out of, uh, I think you said your habitual uh, patterns of attention or the habits of the mind. I, mean, I, I can see how that's, that's, you know, you're kind of on autopilot and we're willfully picking something for that day and practicing looking for shadows as a means to bring consciousness to what we're doing and to bring it to the present so that we're controlling our attention and we're controlling it into the now and being appreciative of what we are now to kind of stave off the, 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 the lack of control. Um, very, very powerful, sometimes difficult for people, but I think it's really, if you understand what's going on, it's just not a Zen thing or what you do. You actually practice this on a regular basis, and the more you do it, the better you get the skills. Is that right? Absolutely, and I think that if you think about just about, a, excuse me, just about any skill in any of those areas I mentioned, sports, music, um, when we first start developing that skill, we're not good at it, right? We're not supposed to be good at it. We haven't developed it yet. So the initial time, the initial investment we make as we're starting to practice using our attention in different ways um, is going to feel awkward. It's going to feel strange. And we're not going to be very successful. So um, one of the other practices that is very much about the present moment 
um, comes from the Japanese tea ceremony. So when when I was in Japan, I've been in Japan many times, and when I studied Japanese psychology there, I was several times taken to this Japanese tea ceremony, which is a very uh, ritualistic uh, ceremony. For any of your listeners who've ever heard of this or actually been involved in one, um, you know, you go in and very mindfully sit down on cushions on the floor, and somebody um, uh, in, a, in a very ritualistic way makes you tea from green powder. And, and this is actually an art form in Japan. People spend 20 years learning to actually make tea in a Japanese tea ceremony. When I was first introduced to this, I just assumed because it seemed so special and unusual uh, and there was this ritual that I just had to be quiet, that you had to be silent. But I found out that you actually were allowed to talk, you know, when you were served tea in this ceremony, but you were only allowed to speak about something in the room that you were in, right? So mm-hmm. there could there could be a scroll on the wall, maybe in Japanese writing, and you could say, Do you, can you tell me what that means in English? Could you translate that for me? Or, or maybe you had this beautiful teacup that was pottery, and you could say, oh, this is really a beautiful teacup. Can you tell me about who made this or where it came from or what kind of style of pottery this is? But you can only speak of what was in the room. And I thought it was a wonderful exercise for our attention. And the training I do now we use this in, in many kind of situations. Uh, one of the most common is what we call tea ceremony walks. So I mentioned that I take walks in the woods, for example, around my house. Uh, but whenever I go out walking, if I'm walking with my wife or somebody who's willing to try this with me, we'll usually do what we call a tea ceremony walk. And what that means is that we can talk to each other while we're walking, but you can only talk about what is in your immediate environment, right? So if we're walking in the woods, I can point out the the buds on the maple trees to my wife. I could, you know, point out the uh, the different kinds of trees. You know, look at that beautiful birch over there. If I see uh, the other day, I saw geese flying in a V form, um, you know, up in the sky. So I pointed that out to her. But I can't talk about the coronavirus, and I can't talk about um, how frustrating it is that we don't have enough tests and all of the things that that we talk about the stock market. Those are off limits. Mm-hmm. So if I if I work with this exercise, then I'm only speaking, and so is she, about what's going on in that moment in our environment, and that begins to affect my mind. It becomes begins to affect my attention, and initially it feels really strange, right? Because um, I'm putting this very strict limit on what I can speak about, and I'll have all kinds of thoughts. Like I'll I'll almost blurt out to my wife something that I want to talk to her about, about one of my daughters. And then I'll think, oh, can't say that. Because <laughs> yep, that's, yep. that's not correct now, right? So, um, but by the end of the walk, I've, I've, I've just fallen in love with, with where I've been. Because yep. I've really paid attention to the beauty of my surroundings. And th- this is really the most wonderful thing, I think, about working with your attention in this way, is that, you know, the only life you really have is the life that you have in your immediate surroundings in this immediate moment. And everything else that we is going on with in our mind about what we're going to do later and what we did the other day and all of these thoughts and ideas we have, even, even thoughts and ideas that might seem brilliant, they're actually not real. They're not part of our real life. Our real life is, is where we are and what we're doing right now. 
Um, and so the more we learn to work with our attention in that way, the more we can just really appreciate richness and the, mir- the miraculousness of the life that we have. Otherwise, oh, we go through life. I, I, I would take walks, you know, years ago, and, and this still comes up for me because I haven't, I don't feel like I've mastered this, but I'll take a walk, you know, down a, a country road where I live um, when I used to walk my dog, and I would come back and I would realize I just walked for 20 minutes. I didn't really notice one thing that was going on. I was in mm-hmm. my head the whole time. And that means I missed my life. I just I just basically took 20 minutes of my life and, and just essentially squandered it or gave it away because I was paying attention to something that wasn't actually really my life. So I, I, I love I love what you're saying, and I, it reminds me of something else I've heard you say a while before. I want to bring this up, and we're going to get a break. I want to come back and kind of comment on it, um, and that is – if, if if I remember correctly, is you're bombarded with thoughts all over the place and you really kind of can't control your thoughts and don't even try to control your thoughts. The trick really is is to control which thoughts that you pay attention to. Uh, I thought that was really pretty profound in as much as I think some people kind of try to control their thoughts, but no, no, let that go. And as you're describing, you're walking, that thought will come in, but you choose not to pay attention to that and to bring it back to the present. Is that Am I, am, I, am I reframing that accurately? Yeah, I think you, I think you are. I think that um, it's one of the distinguishing features of Japanese psychology when we compare it to much of Western psychology is that we start with the assumption, which, which I believe is true, that we really don't have control over our thoughts. And, um, and therefore, uh, we don't try to control them because it's actually not possible. If, if, uh, if my, you know, teenage daughter um, is out at night and, and I expect her to come back by midnight because that's our agreement, and it's now 1 o'clock in the morning and I'm, I'm starting to feel very worried about her, right? And uh, so I try to call her on her cell phone and there's no answer. And now it's 1.30 in the morning and I'm, and I'm really having these thoughts like, what if she's in an accident and what if she's in the hospital right now? Um, you know, what if she was, what if she's not safe? What if she was kidnapped? And all of these things start popping up in my mind. And if I could control those thoughts, I could just simply say to myself, okay, I'm not going to have anxious thoughts. And I wouldn't, mm-hmm. right? Yep. But, but anybody who's in, been in that kind of situation or a thousand situations like that knows that you can't just simply tell yourself not to have those thoughts because you're going to have those thoughts. And so, we work with our, those kinds of thoughts in the same way you would work with um, strategies if you were taking a martial arts class, like in judo or karate or um, uh, uh, just about any martial arts approach, which is this approach of non-resistance. And it means that um, when those thoughts come up, rather than resist them, try to change them, fix them, do something with them, get rid of them, we just simply accept them oh, here's, a, here's this thought I'm having right now about my daughter, and we accept it, and then we shift our attention to what it is that we need to be doing at that moment in time. And so there's no resistance, um, in, and, and I consider to be an effort to change your thoughts to be a form of resistance. And mm. when we have a minute, if you want to, I can talk a little bit about what I think the problem is with trying to change your thoughts when, and, and, and having resistance because I think it has a negative consequence for us. So, so hold that thought. I, we need to go to commercial break to kind of pick up where we left off. Everyone, our, um, 
Our secret word tonight is dealing. Again, the secret word is dealing. It's Greg Creech at the Toto Institute. Uh, check him out at 30,000days.org. That's all one word, www.30,000days.org. And we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Change your life by learning more about managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The ADD Coach Academy will change your life. To find out more, go to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. You can't go off to college with them, but we can. Visit EdgeFoundation.org to learn more how an Edge coach can help your student reach their full potential. You can also call 206-632-9497 and use promo code EDGE and get a free college success guide. Could hiring an attention coach really help you move forward? (laughs) Does a child get wet when they dive into a swimming pool? You can get started moving forward today. Just call Dig Coaching Practice at 813-837-8084 and schedule a free consultation. Tell us you heard about us on Attention Talk Radio and get 50% off your discovery session. For more information, visit digcoaching.com. Don't delay. Do it today. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're having a great discussion with Greg Creech. Um, Real quickly, one of the reasons why I really wanted to do this show with Greg at this particular time with the COVID-19 virus out there, there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of people with a lot of anxiety, and what do you do with that? Um, There's a lot of, I think, just gulp it down and really kind of accept it, and as an athlete, I really subscribe to kind of what I've learned from Greg, and that is, you know, attention really is a skill, and it's something to be practiced, and what I'm really getting out of this is rather than just do this, is just literally, if you can do these things of getting in the moment as a means to acknowledge those thoughts that kind of come in and choose to pay attention. The target is in the present and work over a period of time. I love how he said it's going to feel awkward. It's going to feel strange the first couple of times, but anything that you do the first couple of times is awkward and strange. I'm, Greg plays the piano. I remember the first couple of times I was playing the guitar. Actually, the first couple of years I was playing the guitar. It takes a while for that to come together. But as you develop that skills, you get more proficient. And I think that those with ADHD, we should be doing this every day, not just on times of uncertainty, because it's developing that skill of attention. And again, the reason I want to have this on, this is a great time in order to do this, to be able to manage some of that anxiety and stuff around it and manage your thoughts. Greg, I am really interested in what you were talking about before about like resisting um, some of the stuff in the process and its impact. Can you tell us more about that? Well, I think that if we have um, a thought um, and which again, just pops into our mind uncontrollably. Let's say the thought that uh, I'm going to get coronavirus and I'm going to be one of these people that has to go to the hospital and I'm going to die from it. Okay. It's a very unpleasant thought, right? Um, and so if we try to change that thought, we say, say to ourselves, Oh, I don't want to be the kind of person who's so worried about this. And um, I, I need to just basically not have these kinds of anxiety-producing, anxious thoughts, fearful thoughts. 
I need to, to have pleasant thoughts like, you know, I'm, I'm doing important things with my safety and I'm maintaining social distance and I'm not, not going out and hanging out with people and I'm going to be fine, right? But that's just a different thought. And so what I would argue is that the goal is not to actually try to have pleasant thoughts or nice thoughts or peaceful or serene or happy thoughts. The goal is actually to get your attention off your thoughts completely, right? In other words, not to get caught up in your mind because whether you're caught up in your mind thinking unpleasant thoughts or whether you're caught up in your mind thinking pleasant thoughts, you're still disconnected from the world around you. And so the richness of life to me is much more about engaging with real life than um, getting caught up in, in a dialogue with, uh, with your own mind. Um, you know, there's a wonderful uh, author by the name of Michael Singer uh, who has a book out. I'm think, trying to think if, uh, if I can um, remember the name of his book. It's called, uh, I think, The Untethered Soul. And in the beginning of the book, I, I love the way he does it because it's very humorous. He talks about uh, having a roommate, like the, the this voice in your mind is like your your roommate who you really don't like very much. And they're always arguing with you, and they're always taking the opposite positions, um, and they're always, you know, raising things that, that uh, stimulate anxiety, um, and that recognizing that you've got this roommate that you can't control, right? He or she's going to do do what they want to do um, is really a great first step. Uh, so that what we really want to be able to do is uh, to get our mind off of our thoughts and onto what we're doing in our life. You know, that what I found is that if, if I'm playing piano on stage in front of an audience, um, I don't want to be caught up in my thoughts. I want to be, have my attention completely um, immersed in, in my playing. Right? There is no consciousness of what my thoughts are. I'm just playing. And the moment mm-hmm. I think, oh, I wonder, what's, I wonder what the next verse is, or I, I hope I don't forget the lyrics you know, to, the, to the, what I have to sing after this guy finishes his instrumental, the moment I get caught up in that, I don't play well. I make mistakes. Right? So I'm trying to essentially take my attention and move it away from what's going on in my mind and move it on to what I'm actually doing in my life. So I like to use this metaphor. I find a lot of people don't really have a good way of understanding how their attention works. And so I always start out a a workshop with this uh, metaphor of thinking about our attention as a flashlight. And what that flashlight shines on is the objects of our attention. Um, So if, if I had a flashlight in my hand right now, I could shine that flashlight on this lamp that's at the other end of my room. I could shine it on this nice little purple candle that's on the dresser, right? Those are the objects of my attention. But my attention is the flashlight. And if I'm shining that flashlight on my thoughts, on the thought, um, uh, I know I'm going to get coronavirus and die. If I'm shining the flashlight on that, then that thought is the object of my attention. If I'm shining that flashlight on my feeling of depression, then the object of my attention is a feeling of depression. And the thing is, I only have that one flashlight. When my flashlight is, let's say, pointed towards my playing the piano, I'm not anxious. Right? I'm anxious only if the flashlight's pointing towards my thoughts about making a mistake when I'm playing. 
But as soon as my flashlight shifts to just playing the piano, then I'm not anxious. And I think it's one of the, the things that, again, that differentiates Japanese psychology because it's this idea that you're only anxious when you're paying attention to your anxiety. When you're not paying attention to your anxious thought, you're not anxious. And <laughs> when, when, you're paying when you're not paying attention to a lamp, this lamp I'm looking at, um, that lamp still exists, right? It still exists in life. But when I'm not paying attention to my thought, oh, I'm going to make a mistake, then that thought doesn't exist. Thoughts don't have substance or form to them, right? And so as soon as my thought is on, oh, look at, look at those, that V, v of form of geese beautifully flying through, through the sky, as soon as I'm noticing that, I'm not anxious about the coronavirus. So, so I have to tell you, keep going. I'm anxious. So I'm I'm having a I'm having an experience here when you were when you started talking about the notion of changing the thoughts like I'm not going to have these thoughts in the mind what flashed in my mind is that often whatever you do don't think of pink elephants and that has haunted huh? my mind as we've talked through this thing and I've been practicing looking at the shadows and then I and then stopping and then pink elephant kind of and it's funny because even while you're talking this experience. And, and I've, I've heard your stuff on the flashlight, so I'm kind of conscious of that, but I'm watching my emotions change as I float from the pink elephant to watching the shadows. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm noticing in this experience when I'm looking at the shadows and I'm not thinking about that kind of stuff, I'm feeling a lot better about it. So <laughs> I kind of <laughs> thank you for this experience because I'm like, I'm going to reel aha in the middle of it because literally my, my mind's been pinging back and watching that happen as you've been talking to really illustrate the point. So it's, uh, it's kind of fun to, to execute this while we're talking. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate you kind of, of actually, you know, working with that idea as we're talking. That, that, that's a great, uh, a great approach to, to just having this conversation. And I actually got an email from someone, because I'm teaching this course right now, and this woman um, sent me an email just yesterday that uh, she was going in, she had to go to the uh, uh, doctor uh, for for these treatments that she gets for an illness that she has. And she's in New York. And she's very uncomfortable leaving her house, right? But she has to go. She had to go three times, and she was about to go to this fourth appointment where she has to wear a mask and go outside and, and walk, and the streets can be crowded, right? And, uh, and she had this light and shadows assignment because she's in my course. And she said it transformed her whole experience going to and from the doctor's office. Because instead of walking, you know, that distance, whatever it was, you know, a, a mile or three quarters of a mile to the to the doctor's office, and and just being caught up in her thoughts, like, you know, I wonder if this person coming towards me has coronavirus, and uh, this isn't really safe, and maybe I shouldn't be taking this risk, and all the things that would be going on in her mind, and instead, she's looking for shadows, you know, as she's mm -hmm. walking up the streets of New York, and uh, and so. Part of the, the way we work with this work with this in the course is that people are invited to take photos of interesting um, pictures of light and shadow, right? And so she actually posted a couple of the photos that she took uh, during this this time of going up and back to the doctor's office. But she said it was such a different experience from the other three occasions because she wasn't nearly she didn't nearly experience it as so fearful and anxious as she had. And again, it's simply because her attention was focused elsewhere. Mm. And once we 
realize this, we realize that that skillful use of our attention is the most important thing we can learn in terms of dealing with the kinds of things that make us uh, make life unpleasant for us, like anxiety, like fear, like shyness, like loneliness, like depression. Um, that when we learn to work with our attention, it's not that we're never going to feel depressed or never going to feel anxious. It means we have a strategy that we know is effective for how to respond to feeling depressed, to to anxious thoughts, to lonely, so, you know. Yeah, so with that, with that, we, we needed both things to close, but I, I couldn't help it. I, another moment is I, um, I had a health issue many, many years ago, and I was having to go in and get pricked <laughs> with a needle like literally every other day. And Greg, as I reflect back my strategy, I always sit there and I would always dig my finger into my – Thing and I would just kind of feel that it was interesting to me because I would never feel the needle going into my arm on the other side of it, and I did it willfully. And what was interesting is while we're talking about that, I was in the moment as I felt it in that moment, and I got rid of the because when I got the needle, it wasn't the needle, it was the anticipation of the needle that was probably the worst part of it. And so when I was in the present, just making that thing, it was I was able in a sense to control my anxiety as a result, and I did it was it was mindful, it was a purposeful act that. That it's kind of funny. Now that you're saying that, I, mean, I, I do that. And one of the things that I'm hoping that our listeners, our, our ADD listeners, will get inspired by this and say, "Wait, wait a second. This is a great opportunity to take what what uh, Greg has said today and practice this on a regular basis, particularly in the moment, as a means to deal with your own attention, but also more specifically deal with the uh, lack of certainty in these uncertain times." So, with all that, Greg, any last nuggets before we call today? Well, I, I think that you, you just gave a, a great summary, but um, I'll leave people with <coughs> excuse me. I'll leave people with this maxim that is one of the maxims we use in teaching Japanese psychology, and the maxim is that your experience of life is not based on your life; it's based on what you pay attention to. So, rather than explain that, I'm just going to put that out there, and people can ponder that. I uh, that's perfect ending uh absolutely perfect ending. well uh, greg i cannot thank you i so much appreciate you coming on our show well it's been a pleasure talking to you jeff and uh i appreciate what you're doing and and i think uh um the more you can have shows like this and really influence people to learn how to work more skillfully with their attention you're, you're making a great contribution to their lives absolutely absolutely everybody go check out uh, greg's website at 30,000days.org. and remember our secret word tonight is dealing Secret word is dealing. So with that, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Attention Talk Radio. Take care.